0: Let's open our Bibles or navigate on our devices to the Psalms, the book of Psalms, and to Psalm 40. 4-0. We are looking at Psalms that either are messianic or that Jesus quoted. We're taking those in chronological order. And we're in Psalm 40 today. The topic we find there King David describes his life as if he was a playlist of songs through which people could see the Lord. The title of our message. God writes the songs that make the whole world see. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that we would uh, step into this metaphor a little bit today, that it would be encouraging and strengthening during these difficult times when the world is so discordant and and singing a song that is of doom and gloom, Lord, that that we would continue to be uh, heard and seen in terms of grace and mercy and long suffering and loving kindness and those kinds of things. May we understand that our lives give off a a melody and may it be pleasing not just to you, but to the others, Lord, around us. I pray that this word written so long ago, Lord, would be so applicable to not just what we're going through as a society, but in our own individual lives to strengthen and encourage us. Only you can do that kind of work, Lord, by your spirit. And so we ask that you would, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said amen the real genius of the internet are the pop-up quizzes wouldn't you agree the last one i took was what song are you after 29 highly scientific questions if i were a song i'd be where is my mind by the pixies not being at all familiar with them or that song i went to youtube to watch the music video. It's a handheld black and white video of a dog going through his day, co-starring a cat. That's all I have to say about that. I do have a point to make. In our psalm, King David will say of God, this is verse 3, he has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Notice David didn't say of the song, many will hear it. That's what we would have expected him to say. Oh, he says many will see it. Seeing the song, they would fear and trust the Lord. You can see a song when a singer embodies it or when he or she is identified with it. In ancient times, singers had an identifying song. Uh, for example, who can tell me Tony Bennett's identifying song? Left my heart in San Francisco, see? Dean Martin it's a tougher one everybody loves somebody sometime he would always sing that as he came out on his on the dean martin show. everybody loves somebody sometime. frank sinatra my way kermit the frog it's not easy being green yeah of course you guys are man first service i challenged them to a trivia game after i mean they didn't know what i was talking about (laughs) You at home, there are people here, I haven't gone crazy. Anyway, we could maybe see Jesus as the singer, songwriter, and each of us bringing forth his songs. That's what I'm getting at, and that's a solid biblical metaphor. I'm not making it up. After all, the apostle Paul encouraged us to, and I quote, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so there is a musicality to our relationships with one another and our being around non-believers even. And so I'll organize my comments around two questions. Number one, what songs to the Lord have already been seen through your life? And number two, what songs to the Lord are yet to be seen through your life. Let's take a look at the past a little bit in verses 1 through 10. Now, most of you are familiar with the Mercy Me song, I Can Only Imagine, and it's a pretty good movie as well if you get a chance to watch it. It captures the emotion of the background story in Bart Millard's life. Because of Jesus, his father went from an abuser to someone who Millard describes as the godliest man I have ever known. The song was crafted by Millard's experiences And most importantly, you can see the Lord through it. Now, we don't need to be popular recording artists to have our experiences with the Lord be used by him as if we were songs or even a playlist of songs. I'm not talking about writing songs or even singing. I'm saying your experience of the Lord in and through and after times of trouble strikes a supernatural chord that others, David says, can actually see in your life. It makes what is happening in your heart and life tangible, as it were. So let's get into it. Verse 1, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. By the way, do you recognize the worship chorus we sing from this verse? It's an older one, but as we go through it, I think you'll see it. I waited for the Lord on high. I waited and he... And cry. All right. It's kind of mousy, but it was all right. Scholars point out that waited patiently could be translated in waiting. I waited. I like that for some reason. It's more poetic, but it also implies more than patience. It implies learning about waiting, learning things through waiting. If asked what is a favorite activity, waiting said no one ever. It is, however, an essential element of your song being seen. And the waiting here, it involves some suffering because the psalmist was crying to the Lord. Verse 2, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. There are in God's wonderful word many pictures for our suffering. Storms, valleys, desert places, ships tossed on the water, waves overcoming us, being assaulted by wild beasts. In this case, David expressed his trouble as if he'd been thrown into a pit. The title of this song might be Pit Stop, or This is Pit. No? Okay, never mind. His description of the pit having miry clay indicates it was a dry cistern now these were reservoirs that would be carved out of rock and they would collect rain and runoff jeremiah was famously thrown into one of these in the course of his ministry to israel and you could easily die in them you you really couldn't get out in david's case his troubles felt like that we're not saying he was actually thrown into a cistern we don't know but his troubles felt like that but here he was describing god delivering him from that trouble Instead of being stuck in mire, he had been rescued and made to stand on solid rock. This trouble was behind him. Verse 3, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. While it seems David wrote a praise song about his experience, the meaning is broader than that. David exuded psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in his heart to the Lord. People saw his praise in his waiting and they feared and trusted the Lord. Are you a whistler or a hummer? Do you ever do that? catch yourself? That kind of a thing. I I do that some, especially when I go into places and um, I'm not saying it's spiritual, it's just a habit, but I see David as a hummer, don't you? I mean, this guy wrote songs and made instruments, and, and we think of him taking down Goliath or uh, going in battle and being this great warrior and all that and stuff. But I, I think David, you know, obviously he had a poetic side and a musical side. And I think he, you know, David was the kind of guy that you'd catch singing all the time. You ever, you just sing? I mean, even if you're a terrible singer, don't you go around the house singing, especially in the shower? Be my love. I mean, everybody's Bocelli in the shower, you know, kind of a thing. I see David as a guy that was just singing and humming and just rejoicing, but that's not really what this is about. It's not about bringing forth melodies. It's about being the melody. There's some sense that people can see that the Lord is working in your life as you, in your waiting, wait. And so verse four, blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. David's trouble had involved the pride and lies of others seeking to undermine his trust in the Lord. It may have been as simple as worldly counsel. Uh, David, I'm sure as king, although he was the man after God's own heart and had a great personal relationship with the Lord. As king, I'm sure he had many godly counselors and uh, we know of some, and he would receive wisdom and counsel from others. Uh, And some of it was probably worldly counsel. Even Christians give worldly counsel from time to time and sometimes all the time certainly legalistic christians christians who believe that you grow closer to god by doing things for god or by cl- checking off uh, you know some checklist of spiritual things or keeping certain regulations uh, that's that's a worldly approach to god that's a religious approach to god and so we have to be careful of so-called wisdom of this world because it seeks to undermine our trust in the lord and our waiting upon him Verse five, many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now, this is the reset position after trouble is ended, obviously, and it could be or should be our default position in trouble. In or out of trouble, this is a true statement. God cannot be exhausted. And this isn't wishful thinking. It isn't having a positive mental attitude. When I was in sales 100 years ago, everything was about PMA, positive mental attitude. I remember one time getting sent by my company to a huge uh, co- uh, conference uh, held in an arena in San Diego uh, where they had all the top PMA speakers come out and, and try and you know whip up a frenzy and get you all thinking in a positive way so you would be a better salesman and make more money because that's what it was all about of course most of those guys and gals were divorced alcoholics and uh, they they were i mean that's just the way it was you get to, into their personal lives and you find out that they can't do they can't make it work and so i guess the rally was to make me a money-making divorced alcoholic you know in, in the long run but people still, you, some of you, you still go to these kinds of things to learn you know, techniques and all that. Um, you know, uh, it, We're not talking about wishful thinking when we, we become Christians or positive confession. God's salvation alone is enough to counter any real trouble in this life. For example, did you ever whip out a yellow pad and then list the pros and cons? I don't know if anybody's ever actually done this in their entire life. Don't tell me if you have. I'm not against it. But you see it all the time. People, you know, they draw a line down the yellow pad, pros and cons, and then they list it out, and whatever balances out, uh, that's the way they go. The problem is, if your troubles generated thousands of pages in the con column, all you'd have to do is write salvation in the pro column, and you'd see nothing could compare to it. No amount of trouble could, could overcome the fact that God has saved you. And that's just the beginning of God's resources that are available to you. So it's not having a positive mental attitude. It's knowing the truth that this world is passing away and our life is a vapor, it appears for a moment. And you're on the salvation side of things and will go on forever with the Lord. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. If you're familiar with your Bible, you might think I forgot to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews just now, because these verses in Psalm 40 are quoted there in chapter 10, and they're applied to Jesus. And that's what makes this a messianic psalm, because it's looking forward in these verses to the coming of the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to launch into an exposition of these verses. That's what we do when we're in the book of Hebrews. Today, it would be a rabbit trail from our context. I do want to make two quick observations in our context. In verse 6, when David mentioned the opening of his ear, he was likely referring to the custom of marking out a voluntary bond servant by hammering an awl through the earlobe. And so this would be the the thing if you had sold yourself into indentured servitude to pay off a debt but then you really loved your master you would volunteer to be a servant to him or uh, for the rest of your life and they would mark you in this way and that's what David is talking about And, and his point is an important one God is working to make us voluntary servants not religious people who go through the motions of required sacrifices Obedience is what God wants, not sacrifice. And this gets applied to Jesus in Hebrews to show that all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, starting in the Garden of Eden, were temporary until Jesus could come and be the once for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so it's that relationship with God through Jesus Christ that the Lord wants, not sacrifice and offering. In verses seven and eight, David must have realized he was not talking about himself. It reminds us our lives are part of a greater plan. Now, we're talking about songs this morning. You may not think your song is a hit or even charting, but it is part of the grander musical of God's redemption that began in the Garden of Eden and ends at the last chapter of the revelation of Jesus Christ. All of us are a part of that, for lack of a better word, musical. And, and we all fit in uh, as living stones somewhere. Verse 9, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Can't help but focus on the great assembly uh, that was the gathering together in the temple for worship. And uh, as much as these verses are not about this, uh, I can go off subject for a moment. And obviously, you know, the church is in a time when we can't have the great assembly. We can't all come together uh, because of this COVID thing. Uh, and a lot of people, I think I've mentioned this before. I hate to be repetitive, but Peter was, so why not? Um. It's not a, it's a wonderful thing that we have technology and, and, and I love it that you guys are watching from home and, and that everybody is able to do that. But it's just not nor, it's never going to be the new normal. Uh, it's, it's just abnormal. The church is meant to get together. Yes, there is a universal church. There always has been but the new Testament is all about groups getting together. And they're not just necessarily small groups. A lot of people are saying, oh, the ch- uh, church began in a home and you know we should just meet in small home groups. The church began with 5,000 people getting saved on the day of Pentecost. And a few days later, it was multi, it was a mega church. And, and then they say that, well, you see the church in China when they went underground, they multiplied. Ask any Chinese Christian if they want to have an underground church. And I'm guessing they'll say no. That they would rather be open and above board. And so we have to stop being silly about this and just realize it's a great thing that we can still meet online, but virtual church is not the same. Here's an illustration. Next time you wanna take a vacation, go to virtual Disneyland. Do you know that on YouTube and elsewhere, you can find every ride, and not just modern rides, older rides that you remember as kids, where the person with the handheld camera goes through the queue and into the car, or bucket, or whatever it is, and through the entire ride, uh, the whole experience, and then ends. You could go to Disneyland literally for the cost of your Xfinity internet. No hotels, no driving, no hassles, uh, pause whenever you want, no lines to stand in. Forget Disneyland, some of you don't like Disneyland. How about Hawaii? You could stay home and watch all 10 seasons of Hawaii 5.0 and be free from all the crime that happens there at the same time. Uh, and so, you know, when you're ready, when we're all ready to take virtual vacations, then virtual church uh, will, will be in vogue. In the meantime, uh, we pray that we can all get back together as soon as possible. And this, not a tongue lashing for our own people. I think our own people are great. Whether you choose to come or stay at home, we love you and it's a wonderful thing. I'm talking about pastors and other ministries that are excited that people are staying home and watching online. Uh, it's, it's a stopgap measure at best. We're happy to do it and glad that we were ready for it. Uh, but um, virtual is not real david gave testimony often through his songs to the attributes of god that he mentions here righteousness faithfulness salvation loving kindness and truth and those are themes that we can always show no matter what song is being sung through our life whether it's a chorus of hallelujah or a lament uh god has declared us righteous thanks to the sacrifice of jesus on the cross and so we can be a people of grace We are thereby saved by that free gift and not by our works. He who began this work in us will faithfully perform and complete it. His word is truth and can therefore be trusted. And all of his dealings with us involve his boundless loving kindness. You've probably heard believers described as living letters or living epistles. It comes from something Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. And so a lot of times Christians are told you're the only Bible people will ever know, and they see the Bible and hear it from you. But here we're learning that we are also living lyrics as in waiting, we wait for the Lord to conform us into the image of Jesus. And so our point, our question to answer for ourselves and our own self-reflection is, what songs have you already shown in your walk with the Lord? What songs has God formed in and through you? What kind of a melody are you bringing forth? And it'll be more than one. It's not like you're, you're, you're gonna be a one hit wonder Uh, God is always doing different things depending on your situation. And it might be fun to think about that. Secondly, in verses 11 through 17, what songs to the Lord are yet to be seen through your life? Beginning with verse 11, it's evident that David was in a brand new time of trouble. For some believers, it seems as they have nothing but suffering others. Not so much. It'd be better for you if you don't get into comparing yourself to other believers or especially non-believers. Because what they're going through has nothing to do with what you're going through. Uh, There was that discussion with the disciples where they thought that John was going to live until the coming of the Lord. And they said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, just worry about yourself. What What if I, you know, what if he doesn't die like the rest of you? And so it doesn't matter. All it can do is bring you down or puff you up. I've known people who, because they have perfect health and everything's going right and their savings account is big and, you know, all these other things that they, they won't admit it, but they kind of feel a superiority. And it's a natural thing because we as, it's our nature to think that if, if we're being physically and materially blessed, God must be happy with us. And then there's people who are sick and invalid and infirm or in some way, and they feel it must be a judgment from God. Both of those things hinder God from doing his work in your life because neither of them is usually true. And especially when you compare yourself to non-believers, you get into a Psalm 73 situation where it looks like the wicked, all they do is prosper while you are suffering. And so just worry about yourself in terms of your relationship with the Lord. Worry's not the right word, I know. Don't correct me. Think about yourself and the Lord and don't, don't think about what he's doing in the lives of others. That's for them to work out. Verse 11, do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. Uh, before asking for rescue, David wanted God's graces to preserve him. He was mature enough to know that his trouble might go on for a while. He depended upon spiritual resources while waiting. Unlike toilet paper, aren't you glad Jesus' resources aren't ever exhausted? Hey, hey, My toilet paper's been lasting, I don't know what this is all about. I'll tell you what I really needed, hair gel. You should see my hair in the morning. I look like Lyle Lovett. I mean, it's just all straight up. It's insane, if I don't get a haircut soon, I'm gonna go crazy. For those of you who were wondering, and I know some of you are, every August 26th is National Toilet Paper Day. One fun fact you wanna remember and post on Facebook as you're celebrating, Colored toilet paper was available in the U.S. for about 40 years. Who remembers colored toilet paper? A couple of us. Yeah, I won't say anything about our age. Scott was the last company to remove colored toilet paper from the U.S. market in 2004. Colored toilet paper is still readily available in Europe. Those of you, if you ever go to Europe, I would like colored toilet paper brought back. Just put it on my desk with your name on it. Verse 12, for innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore, my heart fails me. My iniquities is taken by most commentators as a statement that David's own particular sins landed him in this new trouble. And it sounds like that in the translation, but I can't see it. Not in this psalm, and here's why David doesn't repent or ask for any forgiveness. He was never hesitant to do that in other psalms. Uh, times when he had been in sin, he, he confessed it to the Lord and brought it before the Lord. Here, he's asking for deliverance from trouble, not from his own sins. And so it's just a bad way of looking at things. I think he's describing what we all feel. The world is full of evil, sin abounding, and it presses in upon us. Even if we're not in a time of trouble, you feel sometimes just how evil the world is. You'll, you'll hear a news story or think about something and you think, man, how low can we go? And then if you're in some kind of adversity or trouble, it just magnifies that feeling in your own life and you just feel suffocated by evil as it were. And so that's where he was. The world, it isn't what God intended. Much of our suffering is simply the result of the human condition. COVID-19, it's not a judgment from God. It's just the latest proof Adam and Eve brought death when they sinned. People are asking me, well, what's it about then? What can we glean from it? Too early to tell, but I think since we're always thinking prophetically about the end times, uh, it's not a judgment. It's not one of the pestilences mentioned in the book of the Revelation. But there are some interesting things that we can learn. We talk about globalism all the time, right? How there's going to be a one world government. You see the world kind of all in the same queue uh, right now. Everybody thinking the same thing. Governments coordinating with each other. It's, it's not hard to see how there could be a one world kind of a system beginning. Uh, we talk about there being a, uh, a global economy and it all being a digital economy. I got a call from Chase Bank, my bank, the other day out of nowhere courtesy call telling me their lobby's no longer open. And and, uh, if I want to do banking, I can call them or I can go to the ATM uh, or I can be online. And I don't I don't care. I don't like to go into the bank anyway. But uh, your bank calls, you say, we're not open anymore. Your bank could just as easily call and say, this is what we're doing now. Ten percent of your salary belongs to us because we're all in this together. What, What are you going to do about it? I'm not predicting that I'm just saying it you can see how there could be a one world economic system because we'll all go digital. They're talking about uh and it's just talk right now. They're talking about when things do get back to normal when you go to work they want to be able to test you before you go in. Now they do something like this at the base right now I understand that you have to answer some questions Have you had a fever? Are you coughing? You know, that kind of thing. And if you say yes, then they put you aside and they check you out. They're talking about a system in which, let's say, we would be here at the back door and the greeters would have a fever gun. And as everybody comes in, they would ask them a series of questions and see if they had a fever. And then if you did, we'd have to supposedly turn you away. And then they're talking about uh, giving everybody in the world a vaccine uh and so i mean it it's not the mark of the beast it's not any of the because we're not in the tribulation but all the things that we've been predicting and people say oh things like that could never happen yeah yeah sure they could they could happen almost overnight it seems overnight that this has all happened right it's only been a few weeks when you think about it it's uh it's very interesting so not a judgment from god don't blame god blame adam He brought sin and death into the world. But you can see with the world responding, hey, if one guy rose up and said, I can solve this right now, man, we'd follow that guy. Deliver me, David says in verse 13, O Lord, make haste to help me. This was an if it is your will statement. David knew God could speedily rescue him. Why didn't he? for reasons of the heart, because he was working in the heart of David. We'll talk more about that in just a sec. Verse 14, let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Here's yet another metaphor for suffering. David saw his enemies as if they were an approaching army. He asked that God confuse them and drive them back. There are a few examples in the Old Testament of literal armies becoming confused and even fighting themselves because of the Lord's interference. The fact the Lord can move in these ways is what is often so bothersome. We can't help but wonder why he doesn't. That's because his work in the storm is sometimes more important than smooth sailing friend of mine, I've told this story before, but it's fascinating. Friend of mine in Southern California uh, was taking a sailing class from one of the universities down there. And the class was rough weather sailing. And they met whenever there was rough weather. And so you'd be sitting at home and the phone would ring and say, you have an hour to get down to the dock because we're gonna take the boat out and you're gonna learn rough weather sailing. I'd rather learn rough weather sailing before I get into rough weather by myself rather than get into rough weather and have to teach myself rough weather sailing. That's that's not going to work. I'm going to capsize. And so sometimes the Lord says, hey, this storm is a great opportunity for us to learn rough weather sailing. Not that he always brings it. See, then we think, well, it's the Lord's fault. Nothing evil or sinful is the Lord's fault, but, but the Lord can, oh, I can use that. I can do that. Verse 15, let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. At home, at work, at school, even sometimes in the church, sadly, people can have an aha moment about how they can attack you and destroy you. They're like little Satans thinking that if God wasn't blessing you, you would curse him. God loves those kinds of challenges. Me, not so much. I just assume he passed. Verse 16, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. In Isaiah, we read, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is the place of my rest? This may not be a deep theological statement, but God is big. If he's big, how can he be magnified? It seems he is magnified as believers celebrate his salvation in the midst of their trouble. Somehow it magnifies the presence of God. It makes it more real. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. One of the things that's great about baseball is the appearance of the closer. The great ones have great entrance music. Arguably the best of all time, Mariano Rivera of the Yankees was accompanied by Enter Sandman by Metallica. Sandman just puts you to sleep. And, so, and he did, man. That guy just struck people out like crazy. Um, uh, fantastic record. When a believer is poor and needy, when you and I are poor and needy, enter Jesus. To us, it feels like we're in the bottom of the ninth losing with a little leaguer on the mound. But that's never the case. When Frodo suggested that Gandalf was late, he replied, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Our waiting is not God's delaying. Our waiting is not God's delaying. It is God crafting in our lives. A lot of you read Stephen King. I don't because I'm a Christian. No, I'm just just kidding. I am, I really, I just, I don't like to read horror. I don't mind a horror movie. Well, not really horror, more suspense, but it's just not for me. But I acknowledge that he's a a great writer, and I came across this quote by the king of horror. That's what he's called. (laughs) All right, here's the quote. When I'm starting a book, I'll try to write a paragraph, an opening paragraph, and over a period of weeks, months, or even years, I'll word and reword it until I'm happy with what I've got. If I can get that first paragraph right, I'll know I can do the book. Stephen King, years to write a single paragraph. He also talks about how critical the very first sentence is. The only one that comes to mind right now, not from Stephen King, but Dickens. Remember, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. In a hole, blah, 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 lived a hobbit, not just a dirty hole. You know, there's all the great books have great opening line. Call me Ishmael. Uh, I I mean, it. it, and now we know Stephen King, he would just, for you know, that's not quite right. That's not quite right. Months, weeks, a year would go by and he'd come up with the right word. God gets it right. What he is doing takes time. It, It might take him longer to get that right word, that right lyric from you. And it might take longer if we resist, if we don't want him doing his work in our lives. We think of God as simply being able to snap his uh, omniscient fingers and be done with it. But that's not how it works with human beings. Look at it this way. God created the universe in six 24-hour days, including Adam and Eve. But since our original parents sinned, it's been around 6,000 years he's been working to redeem and restore us. Six days to create the universe, six thousand years and counting to redeem and restore the human race. And we know that if the Lord were to come right now to resurrect and rapture the church, it would be at least another thousand and seven years before we get to the new heavens and the new earth. It just isn't possible to go any faster with regard to God's workmanship. And God's workmanship, we're told in Ephesians, is you and I. We are his workmanship. And he's going as fast as he can. And the truth is, one of the brothers pointed out to me and texted me last service. He said, actually, that doesn't really give God much time. 6,000 years, sure, from from that point of view, but in your life, God, who is eternal, has to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 years. That's not very, 100 years to God. I mean, what is that? That's nothing. And now to us, man, that's a long time. My mom just turned 100. It's crazy. She's healthier than all of us. Uh, you know, uh, my dad would still be alive too if he hadn't gotten sepsis from a hospital. But, you know, they're just, they, they just won't die. My poor mom, I call and she said, eh, I feel okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with her except she's, it's hard for her to walk around. But think of God, I mean, it's not very long to uh, to work on your life, and especially if you resist him as he's molding and shaping you. It's probably getting repetitive for you, but I'm still fascinated with the realization that in the end, God will have fellowship with believers who have free will, but who will be unable to sin. I used to wonder, and people would ask me, and say, well, what's to stop us from sinning again in eternity? And throwing everything into the garbage. And then I realized it's possible to to have free will and not be able to sin because God has free will and is not able to sin. He has free will, but he can't sin. You can't conceive of God sinning, then he wouldn't be God. And in the end, when he's done molding and shaping us and he redeems and restores everything, we will be humans in glorified bodies who have free will, but are unable to sin. And it won't be a violation of our free will. And then God will be love and we will be in his love and we will spend eternity with him. And all of this takes time to accomplish. It'd be easier if free will was not on the table, but without that, we wouldn't be human and there wouldn't be love. I'm also fond of pointing out that the perceived delay is tied to the Lord's long suffering with sinners. Not willing any should perish eternally, but that they would be drawn by grace to the Savior and to their salvation. I don't know about you, but I can't stand it when the car with the $10,000 custom stereo system pulls up next to me at the light. You know what I'm talking about? Everything's fine and then... I want to to crank up my Grand Funk Railroad, you know. (laughs) But even at 50, with my ears bleeding, I can still hear the subwoofer going next to me and the guy's trunk is vibrating. As we go through our lives in the Lord, when people pull up next to us, so to speak, our love and mercy should drown out the noise of the world that they generate. It may not sound like much to us, but... We can drown out the world, not the other way, by simply going through our troubles in the Lord. The Lord's lyrics of salvation and righteousness and faithfulness and truth and loving kindness are heard as we simply but powerfully in waiting wait.